Welcome back to the Mixed Moments podcast. My name is Alicia Rife, and we have reached episode 10. So for episode 10 of season one, I will be talking to my dad and we will be discussing his upbringing in Namibia pre-independence and the influence South Africa had on his upbringing. Uh, In addition to this, how he experienced Namibia um, and the enforcement of the segregation law and apartheid laws both in South Africa and in Namibia. And if you want to find out more about his experience, then continue listening. Welcome to Mixed Moments. Join me as we navigate all that life can throw at us and how growing up mixed impacts our day to day. everybody welcome back to the mixed moments podcast my name is Licia and I'm your host and for today's episode I am talking to my dad welcome hello welcome um I like to start off my episodes with guests for a conversation starter so can you choose a number between one and 250 well I'll choose 29 29 okay so question 29 what is a controversial opinion that you have on any topic, anything that is controversial? Well, which is controversial to me at the moment in my country and in my people of my country, it's the right for self-determination. And I wonder why the Swapo Party is a, sorry, it's not politics, but it is very controversial that they have left out this not to be written within the Namibian constitution, the right to self-determination. That means that everyone should have the right to determine his or her life in whatever way he or she wants. It's very controversial, it's absent. And I guess it means more to you based on your history um, than it does to the average person. And for our listeners, I think that today's episode is more of an introduction to you as my dad. uh, So they get to know about you and I guess for me, the reason why is because I think that you know a lot about Namibia and its history, you're part of its history, but also as a tour guide, you know about the fauna, the flora and its landscapes and and all of that. And I think that's valuable knowledge that not everybody has and that should be shared where possible. So could you introduce yourself shortly, uh, your name and anything you want to add about yourself? Well, there's not much to say, apart of knowing that I'm your dad, but you're also a friend of mine. And the thing is that in the society which I grew up with of different stages and different cultural influences since uh, prior to apartheid as a policy and as politics being pursued by the South African racist regime, I grew up in different facets of different communities since uh, my father was of a different offspring and my mom was of a complete different mix offspring as much as my grandfather, as much as my grandmom. So if I have to take all these things in consideration, mixing or having entered schools are always of a different nature. Starting from my kindergarten, and uh, I always attended schools, or I had been attended schools by my parents or my mom, to um, yeah, 
being pushed into Bantu education and then back to colored and then back to Bantu and then back to colored. And then um, you had different episodes of living together and then being brown in a colored environment, a society. So um, this was not easy. And then living in a black township and then walk to a colored township every day. Can you uh, explain that for people that don't understand? Yeah, well, the thing is that uh, during the apartheid regime, the people had been divided to their color of their skin and to the tribe or ethnical group to which they were under the protection, according to me, that every race or every ethnical group should be developing separately. And uh, the question was whether people were really ready for it. But today, after so many years, now that we are 31 years after independence, uh, racial issues become more prominent than what it was when it was under apartheid, because people are now very much aware of policies and politics and uh, their rights and where they are denied by their rights. And uh, this why I stand on the thing that the right to self-determination will bring respect to every ethnical group and to every individual and not so much concentrating on race, but on the individual. And if the individual can be made understand what it means to live within a society and with your neighbor, and there it should not be his or her cultural background, but just to meet someone and to love. That in itself can free us from a lot of chains. And I think it is important for us that we should respect every human being and every lifehood on earth. Whether stones don't love, but life is in its sense that your constitution protects the country as defined within its boundaries. And it is important that all animals and plants and everything should just enjoy the same uh, protection as we also protect human beings in their existing, coexisting with other cultures and other groups. But that no culture should think they are more superior to others. Because if the world shows us in which we love that everything and material in planet Earth, as well as inhabitants, that means population-wise, is distributed unequal, that in itself tells us as much as mineral resources, as much as beauty or desert or green or what has been divided amongst the world or distributed, if there were anyone who distributed it, it's unequal. So. The thing of equality is a relative term because equality does not hurt everyone's meaning of what equality is. That's in short. And I might you, have lost track, but... Uh, no, but you yeah. answered the question. And then you grew up in Barbershbay. Well, Walpus Bay is my... Coming back now to where I was born. Of course, I was born in Walpus Bay. And uh, my parents moved from Walpus Bay to Wintook, and uh, the reason they were in Ventuk and moved from Ventuk to Walvis Bay because the fish factory or industry has attracted and offered a lot of job opportunities. And I think that was the cause that uh, my grandfather and my mom and others moved to the coast and it is where I was born. And then I founded myself. Uh, Walvis Bay did not have 
any school perplex that time as I was born. Or I do not know, but I found myself in an Anglican church and as a child I all the time thought it was Catholic. It has been Anglican. And when did I really come to discover that it was Catholic? I mean, uh, Anglican, it was just now a few years ago, three years ago, that this church in which I was, because it was situated in Swakop, and it was then the white area, and now still within the white area, but this church was standing there. And I went there, and then I look at the, the cornerstone of the building, and it is Anglican church, and I always had it in mind, it was Catholic. So I had been in the boarding school from my early, early ages of five or six already. I had a distance from my mom or from whom I was growing up with. And then I found myself in different schools. And then there was the dilemma, of course, since in the old location, that means Buntu, uh, all ethnical groups did not love to ethnical demarcations, but everyone just lived where they had a possibility to live together. So race in that sense or ethnicity was not a theme. But now, in 90s, during the 50s, as this... But wasn't it segregated into segregation uh, South started, Africans or, or no, whites at that time? No, segregation just started after the South Africans in this sense that uh, England has given uh, independence to South Africa or God gained the independence in 1919. And since they have received the mandate to protect Namibia as a protectorate and educate the people and give them that freedom and access to education, that uh, within South Africa, there was this economic war between the English as well as the Afrikaners, which we call the Boers, Boers in the sense farmers, Afrikaans were to farmer. And yeah, uh, it was there that they have taken up the upper hand and then uh, as the dominant political factor within South Africa, uh, this apartheid or segregation laws which were passed through in Cape Town, South Africa, has been extended to Namibia and it was just then that uh, from the old location people were forcefully moved from where they lived. That means now, as you can see, your pioneer's fuck, this is where blacks lived, and 12 kilometers away they were moved forcefully to the first black township and uh, yeah, there which is now Katatura. Which is Katatura. Still Katatura with all its different suburbs because in Katatura itself, all ethnical groups were divided on ethnical basis. That means starting from the houses with numbers, not numbers, but uh, letters for B, that means would have been our pastors, but in this sense, in Katatura, it was H for Hereros, N for Namas, O for Ovambus, D for Damaras, and uh, yeah, and then you had G for mixed black races within the black ethnical groups or black community. And for those and so that are they are were kept apart that they should not be close together. And for those that are listening that do not understand what we're talking about, uh, within Namibia there's various different ethnical groups. So those well, are the Nama Herero. We had to, these were the main ethnical groups. You starting from the Ovamba, which was the biggest ethnical group, and then you had your Herero, the Hereros, and then you had uh, 
the Kavangul, and then you had the people from the Capri, we now call the Zambezi region. And then you have the Namas. These were the mainstream ethnical groups. And uh, during the apartheid time, you had what they talked about, the 11 ethnical groups, but you still had unrecognized smaller ethnical groups which were mostly bordering between Angola and Namibia. And if I have to think roughly, there's about four to five ethnical groups which are fighting until today to receive official recognition as ethnical groups in Namibia, but not being granted or recognized by the Ministry of Home Affairs. Like the then Wayemba and Azemba, these are different tribe groups which are from Angola and some ethnical groups living in the border do not recognize them as Namibians but as Angolans. So this has developed into new political sceneries or developments within our country. Um, and after moving back to Vintuk or until when were you in, in Bathshbai? Well, I cannot remember exactly to which age I have been in Bathshbai, but I have very, very vague a remembrance of my stay in Warfare's Bay. But I just remember since the 70s because uh, I grew up with my grandfather since I was a child out of wedlock and uh, usually under blacks. And my grandfather himself is a child of a German and uh, a mother of a, a king daughter out of the north, that means of the Ovamba ethnicity group. So my grandfather migrated from Germany, uh, Sachsen, and he came to Namibia as an oxen cattle breeder. And uh, that's how he then on his farm met my great-grandmother, great-grandmother. So my great-grandfather came from Germany. Came from Germany, and then he, yeah, they then had my grandfather being born, and my grandfather again being a mixture already of two ethnical groups. groups. That means grace groups in the sense German, European, who came to Africa, and of course then local uh, inhabitants. That means the Ovamba tribe at that time. Uh, they came down for work and then she happened to work on the farm of uh, my great-grandfather and that is how my grandfather has been born. Again, on the other side, from my grandfather's side, his wife was again of mutual race since she, my grandmom, was uh, a descent from Italian, and uh, Italians were brought in by the Germans during their time of colonization to come and help them uh, build the infrastructure in this sense, rail. And Filippo Manetti who came here and then he met the, my great, my grandmother's uh, 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 mother, that means my great grandmother, she may, he met her and she was a descendant of a Jonker Afrikaner, and they were four sisters, and it was there that my grandmother got married to my grandfather, and she was of Italian Nama descent, or Orlam descent, and uh, my grandfather from German Ovambo, and that's how my mother was born. And then if we have to take that further, that was my journey in my life until I met your mom or my mom, mama 
the mother of my daughter, Alicia, mm -hmm. and she's again German. And uh, yeah, that's where again uh, Alicia was born. So it's another mix, and and uh, if I have to take this, uh, yeah, it it is it's a long road, and we are of a mixed descendant group of people. And within, but we are being preached by communities and societies in which we live, yeah. and not uh, not strictly on ethnical base because ethnicity does not preach just you, but it is the culture in which you grow, which makes you who you are and not the race of the ethnic group. But unless you have grown up, of course, all these elements will be present. Yeah. But within your side of the family, so my cousins and aunts and uncles, yeah. none of them married someone outside of the black community, correct? In, mm. That isn't raised in a traditional black culture. And on mama's side, that isn't raised in a traditional German Namibian culture. Yeah, I, we may agree. But uh, not not necessarily because the siblings, uh, if we talk about Lamas and, and, and Keanu and others, they have grown up in a different, which are your cousins. Huh? Yeah. They have grown up in a complete different world than we. But if I have to take now my sister in the sense and my brother, and the, uh, uh, these two have grown up during the time of apartheid, but if I have to take Ingeborg and I have to take uh, Maggie, the last two, or bonds, uh, they grew up in a mixed culture. In the sense, when it comes to schools, they were at St. Paul's, the Ingeborg, and then uh, Maggie also, but even starting from kindergarten and what they, they had a mixed upbringing when it comes to education. Because they were allowed to choose where they Because that study. time, in 1978, the the law of segregation has been scratched already during the time of apartheid occupation. Apartheid as a law has been scrapped, though it was still Enforced. dominant, no dominant in the society. Because the first mixed marriage took place in 1978 of a lady from Port Elizabeth, with a German migrant who came here in and Namibia. worked in Namibia. Yeah, yeah. And then after having finished school, what? Journey. My journey in school or education was very complicated because uh, there were the things as, as I grew up Catholic, all the schools which I was supposed to attend to, according to the parents or where I found myself, was always Catholic boarding schools. So I grew up more in a boarding school than at home. So uh, from primary school, I had been already in a boarding school. Imagine 19... 66, 1967, 68, I think it was Apollo 11 and 69. Uh, I was in Alibal North St. Joseph Training College and that was in South Africa. No, most of the 99% of blacks during that time could not afford to send their kids to South Africa to attend school because that was the only opportunity. The churches have taken over the responsibility of education though the state itself did not bother much about school. So if you look at mayor prominent schools during that time, it was just Dobra, which was Catholic, and then you had the Lutheran church through the Martin Luther and Augustinum, who later became a, a state school. But mostly the church took over the duties when it comes to education, registering of new people or death had been done by this 
church because the state did not play a prominent role. It was just slowly after apartheid and that they have taken the upper hand that they started to introduce, uh, yeah, what a state needs to have. And it is on that basis that uh, we had been uh, divided to skin color or as being reserved to say that uh, those are colors or the others are blacks in the sense. So colors has not been regarded during the apartheid of South Africa as being white. Neither has they been regarded as being black, but they were used as a buffer zone. And today, if we look at that very same colored community, today have searched for their roots and went back and they came to find out that they belong to the Kwesan <laughs> or the Khoikhoi. And of course, I'm a descendant from Jonker Afrikaner, whose father was Jakar Afrikaner. And they came from a farm very far, close in peril, which were called Winterhook. And they were Afrikaans-speaking people, which were called Orlam. Orlam in the sense that uh, they did not grow up the normal way as all the ethnical groups. That's why they were called Orlam. But then they... Uh, they, uh, yeah, they flew after as the history book said that they killed or murdered the farmer on the farm on which they were working that time, uh, close to Tolbach, where this farm Winterhook was. And then uh, they moved, and since they were trained by the Dutch as well as the English during that time as Boy Scouts, and, and uh, uh, they were very good uh, horse riders as well as uh, could go along, and of course, worse nails. Trackers. Trackers, yeah. And uh, yeah, handling a rifle, and uh, they had the superiority towards other ethnical groups. So the Nama people living at the Orange River in the northern side of the uh, river, they asked for help. And uh, Jakar Afrikaner and his son, Jonker, uh, pursued uh, these ethnical groups, that means the Irish, and pushed them back up to Okahanja, that is the town 17 case north of Vantuk, which was traditionally the head or head office of the Herero tribe ethnical group. So John Karapurgarner, as he came into this visit, he became uh, a buffer zone between Namas and Hereros, but then he also established the first primitive state, and he was the founder because he found Vanduk in the sense, the name Vanduk coming from the farm Vanderhoek, in short. So my basically other school, as I came here, uh, I, from Warpers Bay, I entered in this Anglican uh, church, and then as my parents moved, I came to Bunduk, and here I found myself again in old location, here, close to home, under a tree where we were treated, and there those two classrooms, and then from there we were moved to Katutura, which means the place we didn't want to move to, and from there we were then brought in every day by the Catholic, with the Catholic church, to come and attend uh, school and then be taken back by lunchtime, 1400 hours. Until such time that uh, they, the schools, there were no schools in, 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 in Katutura at that time. And every, all the ethnical groups were still living next to each other and were neighbors. But did the, the people who lived in Katutura, then were they allowed to come into Vintok to get their education or were they prohibited unless they did so through no, the church? No, we, we, we just all came to the church to attend school, the church schools. Mm -hmm. But the church were also then confronted. There is one of the oldest buildings, the Lutheran church, which is opposite the DHPS 
that church was standing the waves and uh, their ground for a mixed congregation because there were a lot of Germans and all different ethnic groups which lived in our location who attended school there. Okay. Yeah. So from that community, even Schultz, a friend of mine, he is German, his father and everyone, and one of his uncles who were the first diamond, uh, found the first diamond in Lutheran. Um, yeah, they were all of members of this church, and uh, ethnicity was not wrong, but then as apartheid added in, then people, uh, things were administered on ethnical grounds and keeping all the ethnical groups separate. So my next school was then uh, in Komastal. After Komastal, as a suburb has been founded, uh, it was then regarded for colors. And I do not know on which basis it is, but I found myself being on these schools. I haven't been the typical colored as it is being pursued by the apartheid regime to be light of skin, but because of the mixed background of me, it is on those basis that I had been on the colored schools. I entered this colored school since uh, I was born, and then uh, I found myself later in um, Bantu schools again. Uh, and then there was a time I wanted to meet my father and uh, I stayed for some time, more than six weeks. And then my father entered me there also again in a black school because he lived in a black township. So uh, yeah, and I was pushed around. That means from St. Joseph Training College, it's in Alabama North, it's a Catholic school. Then, um, I came in Bunduk, then I was a Jebra, also St. Joseph Training College, that was also Catholic, but which had a mixed ethnical background of the dominant different ethnical groups. And most of the students or learners at that time has been of mixed race, but ethnicity was not playing a big role, but we were slightly aware of it. In South Africa or here? Yeah, 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 in Namibia. Okay. And in South Africa, of course, it was a job comp comp composition. Then I found myself again back in South Africa. Then I had been in Aladuk to see it was colored. And then it was also in Swakop again back after a certain age in 1975, which was also a colored community. But then there, it was the first time that I came to discover the racist uh, ethnical uh, behavior of where my life has been made a bit uncomfortable with others with whom I have been in the classroom because of the ethnicity regarding them as superior as others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in short. So it continued that way. And then I also have been in the first school for blacks in South Africa, which is called Khanadendal. Uh, in the school, the town is Khanadendal. The school was Imelbira. And this school was donated by the Queen of England for the slaves to enter school. And it is at that school, which was the first school, many people entered school then, for blacks in South Africa. And I attended school then. I was at the age of uh, 15, 16, and 17, that I had been uh, attending the school. And it was there that I came to discover my ethnical, uh, not ethnical, but um, yeah, qualities in me in learning, as well as athletical qualities. Because this was like non-existing in Namibia, and uh, yeah, it was also there that I met the American ambassador, 
who visited the school and is where we receive uh, our first color TV box <laughs> for the school. And we, previously we just had a black and white. That was 1975, 76. In SA. In South African, and this school is still standing. It was an old slave school. Uh, there, I again, my leadership qualities have proved myself uh, that I have been in all classes and different stages. I always have been the head boy of the school and then uh for those that don't know within southern africa and other african countries a head boy or a head girl uh would probably take the same role as in europe for the student council the student council president or um someone of the student community who takes on a leadership role and oversees the student community which in south africa and namibia and i think other southern countries is still very prominent so each year group in the school will have a head boy and a head girl yeah it, it was like a tradition yeah it was like a tradition but uh it also continues in the sense that there was not an official united body of all school boy uh, uh head girls or head boys of, of, of the school of the classrooms having the council they were just of the classes mm -hmm. but they were not organized in the same what was very prominent is that Christianity was prominent and we were kept busy by the Christian uh, CVS, uh, Christian for Inner <coughs> It's a different, how would I put this now? It's, 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 it's Christian organizations and this was very prominent. And on those lines on Christianity, we had uh, after school, that means holidays, there were different camps held in Port Elizabeth. Muscle Bay, Cape Town, or wherever else in Namibia. And there I played a very prominent role. Uh, yeah, I was very, very uh, religious in my early age as a black Catholic, but uh, also very rebellious towards religion uh, or the Catholic, and the Catholic Church. And uh, yeah, but uh, as for my whole upbringing was mostly in all Catholic boarding schools. So, and here I found myself in a Moravian church. Uh, the school was very Moravian. And um, yeah, even there on my age of 15, uh, let's say 16, uh, I was a preacher, pre preaching in the Moravian congregation. And uh, it was very strange for the Archbishop of the Moravian church, finding a child on a Moravian school who's Catholic and then even preaching within the Catholic uh, in the Moravian church, and that has been a kind of rebellious demonstration, silent of me. Okay. Yeah, in, in short. And then I came back, of course, and I worked in between here as an apprenticeship at LT as a construction, as a, a construction company to learn other things out of school. Okay. Yeah, in short. Of course, there's also the college where I went as a teacher. Yeah. After matriculation. So after matric, and that you... was in Comastop. Okay, and you studied to become a teacher. I started to become a teacher. That means it's ten plus four. And uh, during that time, politics since nineteen seventy six had been very active in the country, and most black schools and those who participated within the urban areas were very active. And uh, there was no exception with me. And since I was also very much in politics. Is where in 1974, 75 that uh, I became more politically active in uh, yeah 
in the livelihood in which I lived. That means the community of Katitura and uh, become aware of uh, my environment and what I regarded as fair and unfair towards me or to... Towards your community. Oh, yeah, or my future or my dreams. Yeah. And then after having studied to become a teacher, what did you do? Well, I have been teaching in Mariental because there were no teachers. And since I was at a teacher's college and this, there were strikes or demonstrations at our school, just as it was in, in 1975, would be in 1976, not 75, 76, demonstrations of Soweto. This wave also passed over to Namibians. And uh, this was the same way. Not that I participated per se, because I can't remember where I have burned down any building or whatsoever. <laughs> But, uh, and I'm so glad today that uh, there's nothing I can recall of my, of my past that uh, I've been uh, throwing stones and destroying things like that. So I no destructive intention. Uh, no, 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 those elements were not part of me. But well, on the political ground, they were of course a different margin than on the school grounds. But uh, this is what I was, because I always have been in the leader's role and for those reasons, so I was always supposed to be, in fact, to be rebellious was not the right place to be in the religious position and in, on those grounds, uh, I could not act in such a manner. But there, there in, uh, in Mariental or in Komastal, I moved and uh, I was teaching in Mariental at Empalheim Sonop where I taught uh, standard six, standard eight, and then uh, adult classes in the evening for people who wanted to do their matriculations. And that was also again within the colored community, still in that time. Mm -hmm. 19, yeah, 1980, 81. Okay. Yeah. And that was also how I left the country, because then the South Africans, because of the liberation war in the northern part of Namibia, bordering with Angola became intensive and uh, We as blacks had been then conscripted with a possible law of conscription by the South Africans that we should do compulsory military conscription. Where? So that in South Africa? Yeah, in Namibia. But the law, because we were a colony of South Africa. Yeah. So laws passed in South Africa, we Those didn't have, we did, yeah, we did not have any right to decide. That's why. So you were conscripted by the South Af under the South African government? It is under the apartheid government of South Africa. To, to 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 be to do military service to protect apartheid and that was against my political principles because I cannot serve under a person who subjugate me and does not give me access to education and that I could not determine my own life. To so you would. left. So that made me to leave the country. Because uh, I was at college, I was conscripted, uh, and I had been in the leaders' corps. Uh, two second South African Badlion group in which I was, and I was in Alpha Company in Worcester. Again, here, again, uh, the mixed thing was there. There were, it was the only unit within that South African army which where whites and blacks, we did not sleep in the same kasan or barracks. Uh, we blacks were mixed in that barracks uh, 2020, and the whites were on the other side, but we were. As a platoon, we were all together. Mm -hmm. 
but that was again mixed and there again also I had the leaders group I was the group leader of the both two groups mm-hmm. of the two platoons and you left Namibia. And I left Namibia on the grounds that I was not prepared to fight against my own people and defend apartheid rules, which suppresses me. And where did That's, you go? So I went and I left uh, via Botswana, where I was supposed to go and meet uh, uh, late Daniel Chongarero, was a Swapo member, and he was the internal wing leader of Swapo. So through him and... Um, Mr. Mastorf, who was then the leader of the Council of Churches of Namibia, CCN, and uh, a late Mr. Pura and Geno and my late uncle Simon Noyoma, uh, they organized my departure or that I would have met with Hage Genkov, now our present president of our country, to meet him in Lusaka. We, he was director of the Namibian Institute or Institute for Namibia, that means where Namibians were trained as administrators. Mm-hmm. That's where I started to come and meet for the first time our present, present president, Sam. And uh, through this political uh, uprise of all blacks in Namibia, as much as whites also, uh, who were affected by these military conscription, because many German descent and English uh, fled Namibia as a country, and they went to their family members in Germany not to be conscripted and to be part of this war of apartheid. So they actively chose to leave as well? Yeah, it was not just a one-sided thing, but of course, dominantly it was with the blacks, but then... But there many, were also some... But there were whites who also, by their political orientation, was not uh, at ease and satisfied and happy with uh, the politics being pursued by the apartheid regime that time, mm-hmm. so that one can have the impression that whites were just sitting there, but they were amongst the whites who also fight or fought against apartheid mm-hmm. in whatever way. So I found myself also on the same track, but I left the country because I was not prepared to point my barrel at the wrong side against my own people. But I ended up being... being um, imprisoned or incarcerated by Swapo. And these were my own people, and that was the most painful thing. If we also have to talk about controversial issues. So controversial has a broad scope. It, uh, but it's one element which has left a mark on my life and uh, not to be forgotten because there I've lost my whole view fears that uh, since I was in prison and until I was released through the United Nations effort for Resolution 435, was Namibia's independence. That means both parties were supposed to release their political prisoners. Now, whether we were classified as political prisoners is another issue, but this is how it was said. And it was on those grounds that we were then under the United Nations, being those who survived and were still alive out of the dungeons of Swapo. And as far as I understand from having read Swapo Captive and from what you've told me growing up, yeah. Your time in prison, or in not yeah. prison, but in incarceration, was because Swapo believed you to be a spy against. We were the party. accused, yeah. Um, and for that reason, you and a group of others who were all supporters of Swapo beforehand. Yeah, it were, was well. It's an internal crisis within Swapo, which cannot be declared. But today, if we have to look thirty-one years after independence. 
uh, it becomes very clear who, in fact, were the traitors of the Namibian revolution. There is no and, explanation as to... Or not why, there is no but a summary official. of those, those years for you personally. There's no summary because it's still continuing. I've not concluded my past yet in the sense of what exactly transpired there and who was behind our incarceration. We want to know what, uh, or I personally would like to know, I think myself what it is. And I concluded in myself, and maybe that will feature in my book, where I will make it very clear. And I think that the present leadership who are still alive of Swapo, I think they are the ones who betrayed the revolution because of the, the liberation struggle. We achieved our economical, uh, not economical independence, but our uh, political independence through the right of self-determination because we had been subjected to the South African laws. Mm -hmm. And that's why we fought for the right for our self-determination, for self-governments. For self yeah. for self no, but even for, so um, that the right of association, the right that you should have the right that you can associate yourself with your beliefs and whatsoever, but you should also have the right as an individual. And I think when every ethnical group or every inhabitant, and I don't want to reduce it to ethnic, but I would just say rather the individual mm -hmm. and not even on gender, because the individual gives respect mm -hmm. to the individual. And if the right to self-determination and self-governance and self, whatever it is, is the underlying part of a constitution, I think there will be respect of people mm -hmm. amongst themselves and not one ethnical group as a dominant factor over the others. Okay. As Friedrich Engels quoted in his books, he says that once one ethnical group tries to be dominant over another ethnical group, there shall not be peace. Mm -hmm. In short. In short. We'll still continue. Yeah, so I probably want to go into detail within that large time of your yeah, life. Yeah. Um, and after that, you came back to Namibia and you spent some time abroad, mm -hmm. also due to family connections. And you came back and you grounded your own business as a tour guide. Yeah, I started. You started. I started. I started as uh, I came from after I had been in Germany and I have done these language courses. I've done Grundstufe 1, 2, and 3 at Bandhaupt uh, in Frankfurt, uh, Sachsenhausen, but I stayed in but in Oberosel, very close to Bad Hamburg. And then I went to do in Munich, where my uncle, my late uncle, stayed, uh, cross uncle. Uh, and uh, yeah, there I have done my Mittelstufe 1, 2 and 3. Mm -hmm. That means to learn German as a language. Though German was not uh, strange to me since in Namibia, German has been a spoken language and written language and you could hear it in the streets because uh, German was as much as English and Afrikaans were also par as the official language mm -hmm. and on those grounds. And since I grew up, Afrikaans is my mother tongue, uh, and in school, uh, the sentence construction of 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 of, uh, the Afrikaans, language. of Afrikaans language is uh, from German. It's a uh, Germanic language, mm -hmm. and it's on that basis that I had a bit easy to learn German being yeah. in Germany. But and do you speak how many languages? I speak about eight languages. 
of which I don't know one from Namibia. No, you do. You know Afrikaans, you know okay, English. Afrikaans and English. Because Afrikaans, mean... Afrikaans itself is not being brought in by South African regime. My great, great, great grandfather, Jonker Afrikaners, they spoke Afrikaans as their mother tongue. Mm -hmm. And then as they came here, and even the pastor people, as much as the others, uh, uh, Hendrik and others, the treaties and what they signed here amongst themselves were in Dutch Afrikaans. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the Namibian languages, I unfortunately don't know no, you, fluently. Because, I mean, uh, Afrikaans is also a native language because it had developed in a certain sense as certain groups were here. Yeah. Because if you look at the merchants and the different treaties and the reference, how they moved around in the country, it was all in Dutch Afrikaans. That was many years prior to the arrival of, of the South Africans. Officially. Yeah. 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 Okay, so that was a brief summary of my dad's early life. It's probably the best. <laughs> Writing a book is not an easy task because I don't write books because of others, right? I have my way of trying to tell my story. So that is on its cards. Yeah. Okay. And we will continue our discussions uh, with my dad yeah. in the future to come. But I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you got to know a little bit more about Namibia's history and my family background. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to know when the next one drops, subscribe to our podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please do leave a rating and a review so I know how to improve in the future. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this week's episode or any suggestions for future episodes, head on over to our Instagram at mixedmoments.podcast and let me know what you think.